Open your Bibles to Psalm 18 and let's consider David further in the light of God's word about him and look at a number of traits of his life that might encourage us to be more like him. I want you to be a man after God's own heart or a woman or a youth after God's own heart. I want you to have his charmed life. I want you to have God delighting in you and boasting of you and measuring others by you instead of measuring you by them. You can be better than your neighbor. And while that kind of terminology is not even hardly acceptable anymore, it is very biblical in both Testaments. Very biblical. The Lord Jesus Christ measures men by what he gives them and what kind of return they get him on his investment in them. And he is an austere and severe investment manager of his assets. When he gives us his grace, he expects performance. After all, he gave himself for us. We that live should live for him who loved us and gave himself for us. I appreciate everything that's been said and prayed and sung already. Psalm 18 is a great place to start. We started there a few minutes ago with verse 19. He brought me forth also into a large place. God blessed and favored David abundantly. He delivered me from many enemies over many years, internal and external, because he delighted in me. And I want God to delight in you, not in your marriage directly, not in your family directly, not in your church directly, but in you directly. First of all, you, starting from our own hearts, I want you to have a heart that is after God's heart. That wasn't a reflection of David's family. It wasn't a reflection of his many wives. It wasn't a reflection of his father. It was a reflection of David. And so it starts there. And if you have a heart that's right with the Lord, you're going to have a marriage, you're going to have a family, and you're going to help build this church to be what it ought to be in the sight of the Lord. Psalm 18, we're not going to deal with it. But you should never forget it. It's got 50 wonderful verses in it. How does it start? Just look at the way that it starts and the intensity that David has. I will love thee. Not I have loved thee, not I love thee. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. And then he goes on in verse 2 to describe eight different ways in which he looks at the Lord as his rock, fortress, deliverer, God, strength, buckler, horn, and high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. And yet at the same time, he can say in verse 29, in verse 29, For by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. Were there ever walls in the way of David's life? Yes, but he leaped over them. Were there ever troops in the way of David? Yes, but he ran through those troops with God's help. And so the charmed life, the charmed life can have difficulties in it. David led a charmed life. Ever read the Psalms? Yes, there were times he was discouraged, but he always ends in praise. Because the Lord always delivered him. And we want to enjoy God's deliverances of David, David's delight in the Lord, and the Lord's delight in David recorded for us so many times in the Bible. Remember, this is the second time I've said it today, and it is the 93rd time I've ever said it to you. Psalm 18 is in the Bible twice, and it's there for good emphasis and repetition for us to appreciate these words. Look at those opening words to verse 7. 
This is what happens when a man that God delights in prays and says, I'm in trouble and there's people trying to hurt me. Then the earth shook. The earth shook. God jumps on a cloud, gathers the reins in his hands, and comes riding down to earth, sending out hailstones and fire and lightnings, and burns up the enemies of David. This is the way the Lord, the way David describes how the Lord delivered him from his enemies. This is what David wanted to do when he had defeated his last enemy and sat down. He did not figure out a building program for himself. He figured out a building program for the Lord. He didn't retire. He got busy doing other things for the Lord. And he wanted to praise the Lord, so he wrote this. That's David. I want you to think about every aspect of David that you can and try to conform your thought processes and your speech and your life after him. Delighting in the Lord. Rejoicing in God. Giving God the glory for your victories. And yet realizing that God is kind, as you heard from Psalm 28, and faithful and just to reward men for their righteousness. He knew that his enemies, even if they called on the name of the Lord, it would do them no good. There's interesting verses in Psalm 18, but I said I wasn't going to deal with it. Psalm 18, verse 40, Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. They cried, but there was none to save them, even unto the Lord, but he answered them not. There's a difference even among those who say that they're Christians in their prayers. You can have enemies in the household of faith. You can have enemies in the house of God who claim to believe the same things we do, and they're going to cry unto him, and he's not going to hear them or answer them, but he'll hear and answer you. David said so right here. Remember, many of his enemies were in the same church with him. Those strange children that he wanted to be delivered from in Psalm 144. I want you to catch a vision of being like the man God loved and told us so much about. There's only value here if you'll repent for where you're not like him and purpose to change. Each point needs to be answered with him. I like that. Do others believe it about me? Because they're always more honest than you are about yourself. It's just the way it is. This study is intentionally superficial to cover as many points as I can and not in depth about any one of these points. Any one of these points could be expanded on quite a bit. God identified David for us as the man after his own heart. God delighted in David, as we saw here in verse 19, and we want to look at the reasons why. David combined the greatest virtues, manly deeds, and spiritual zeal for God and men. God and Israel loved David. He had the name and loving favor we're all supposed to seek ourselves, as the men learned at the men's meeting on Wednesday evening. A good name is rather to be chosen great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. That is to have God and men consider you with a great name and to give you their loving favor. That's a choice every man makes, every woman makes. It is not because other people don't understand you. The problem is they do understand you and you're not worthy of their friendship or favor. That's just the way it is. That's why God set that as the measure for Samuel. Solomon preached it in Proverbs chapter 3 and it was the standard for Jesus. He grew in favor with God and men. You say, but they nailed him to a cross. Those are the enemies of God, of course. David had enemies. But all the righteous within Israel loved David. 
And the righteous love to hear the Lord Jesus Christ preach. If you ever get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, they love to hear him preach. They love to hear John the Baptist preach. Herod liked to hear John the Baptist even for a while until his little, little girl got in the way. But we want to measure ourselves the way the Lord tells us to be measured. David immediately found himself in the favor of Saul, Jonathan, Michael. Now those should have been his political enemies. He found himself in the favor of the whole nation and the servants of Saul. They all knew that he was going to be promoted over them because he was braver than any of them were. But it didn't matter. He found himself in the favor of the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and the Gittites. Now, how do you get the Philistines to love you after you have killed their champion? Because you're gracious, you're faithful, you're honest, you're sincere, and you have the traits that we're looking at. And they governed his life. And he operated by principles and power and a presence that was different than anything they had ever seen before. And that presence and power was God Almighty in him, with him, around him, and the object of his worship. We want to be like that. David had heinous sins in his life, many, and I've added to the list. After further study this week, yet he was still God's favorite, which is hope for sinners. We have covered so far 15 traits of David. They are his heart. And I've already mentioned that this morning, that when God told Samuel, I don't look on the outward appearance, I look on the inward part, I look on a man's heart, he wasn't talking about a muscle, he was talking about that man's choices. He wasn't looking on his grace in David's heart. He was looking on David's use of God's grace in his heart. Otherwise, it doesn't mean anything, and the Bible becomes a legalistic, fatalistic piece of material that doesn't do us any good except to sit back and twirl our minds on work that God's done and take away the responsibility from us. That is not what the Bible's written for. The Bible is written for instruction in righteousness. I thought the righteousness was all provided by Christ. No, it's instruction in righteousness that we'll know how to live righteously before him. And so that's the heart of David. It was different. He chose to be merciful when other men wouldn't be merciful. He chose to be generous. He chose to love congregational worship, which we'll get to again in a moment, in his heart. And so when, it, when we start out with his heart, his heart was different. His affections. He, he loved God more than anyone else. He loved the worship of God more than anyone else. He loved the fervent, expressive, excited worship of God more than anyone else. Because his heart was just overflowing with love for God. You say, well, it's because God blessed him. Yes, and God blessed him more because he loved him for God blessing him. It's a, it's a wonderful, vicious cycle, isn't it? To, for it to work that way. That God blesses us. We use that blessing to love him. He blesses us more. We use that blessing to love him more. He blesses us more. And you will never out-bless God. You will never out-delight God. If you delight in him, he'll delight in you. Can you lift yourself up this morning? Amen. You've had a boring week. I know. You're living in this world. Now it's time to be excited. But we can be excited through the week thinking about the things of David and thinking about the things of the Lord and delighting in him like David did. God chose David, the youngest of Jesse's eight sons, because of the heart that he had. And David had a heart. 
As soon as he happened, where do you want to go? I, I, I said I wasn't going to deal with the 15 from, didn't I? I don't want to deal with the 15 from last week. We'll never get anywhere on this subject because we don't have 61 anymore. Oh, his heart. As soon as he's on the battlefield and he hears Goliath open his mouth against the God of Israel, there isn't a doubt in his mind what needs to be done. That man's head needs to be cut off. And if no one else will do it, I'll do it. Is there not a cause? Shouldn't somebody be upset? Listen, and Saul's offered all this stuff? Saul's offered all this tax exemption for his father's household and his farm will be tax exempt? But that stuff didn't matter to David. It was that he heard something against God. And I want to know how many are in here that when you hear something against God, it gets your ire up. I can't tell about some of you. You know, don't coddle, don't coddle your enemies that, that, don't, that don't love God. Don't coddle family that doesn't love God. Don't coddle church members that don't love God. Let's keep this church pure. He heard something that was wrong, and he took care of it himself. And, and so we see the heart of David just over and over again. We're, we're facing Psalm 18 by looking at it. And Psalm 18 was written when David had defeated all his enemies. But as soon as he had defeated his enemies, he was uncomfortable with the fact that he had a finished house that he was living in, and God was being worshipped in a tent. For those of you that like to go camping, is there a difference living out there in your tent and coming home and having a shower and a real bed? Is there a difference? There was a big difference to me when I tried it a long time ago. And David knew... That doesn't mean a thing for you. If you love camping in a tent, that's more power to you. I'll think about you, though, when I'm in the shower. <laughs> it bothered David. That was in his heart. And he's going to tell Solomon in some of the chapters you could have read last evening, I didn't know how long our devotions were going to go last night. I wanted to listen to every chapter about David in the Bible. Because they're wonderful. But he said, Solomon, he told the princes of Israel, it was in my heart to build him a house. Did you hear that? It was in my heart. I wanted to do it. He told Solomon, it was in my mind. The kind of things that I think about, I wanted to give God something better than a tent. The things that I wanted to do, the passion that I have inside me, wasn't to build me a bigger house. It wasn't to get Hiram to come and put an addition on the house that he'd already built me. Hiram did build David a house. What does Hiram, the king of Tyre, a pagan nation, the richest nation on earth, want to come and build David a house for? Because David was exceptional. But David had a heart. We've got to go on. Oh, he had a heart. Where's your heart? What's your heart like? How excited do you get about the worship of God? How excited do you get about the words of God? You've never read anything in the Bible like Psalm 119. There is no description of the words of God anywhere in the Bible that even comes close to Psalm 119, except Psalm 19, and sorry, David wrote both of them. And there's no, there's no chapter in the Bible that sounds like either of those two, except Psalm 1, and David wrote that one. Do you know, his, do you know a little bit about his heart? He loved the words of God. He loved the words of God. He loved the worship of God. There's no other praise and worship leader in the Bible like David. You say, what about Asaph? David hired Asaph and trained him. Now, what do you want to tell me about Asaph? That's his heart. How about congregational worship? How about the people of God? 
I was glad when they said unto me, if there was one man that deserved to be a loner, because being alone for David, many had a harem. It was an eight-story apartment building with 40 rooms per floor. We don't know how many in total. It's just a large number of wives that David had. But he, he could have been a loner, but he wasn't a loner. He loved congregational worship. I was glad when they, plural, said unto me, let us, plural, go into the house of the Lord. We shall stand. Psalm 122, David, his heart, his heart, when he sinned, and it was pointed out to him. As my brother likes to tell me, that bony finger of Nathan came out and said, Thou art the man. When David said, The man that did this, that took that little ewe lamb from his neighbor, he shall die and restore that lamb fourfold. Thou art the man. I have sinned against the Lord. And when you go read about his sin, he goes right after his heart. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And mine is broken and mine is contrite. And mine is on the ground right now. And it is grieving under your judgments. Restore unto that heart the joy of your salvation. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, and I'll get back to work immediately. His heart. He didn't, he didn't quit or give up or weep or mourn or, or wallow in self-pity. He repented. He reformed. And he went back to work. Zeal for God's house. That, number one was his heart. I just want you to think about his heart. What, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? His zeal for God's house. Built him a temple. His zeal for God's worship. His zeal for congregational worship. He didn't want to do it alone. He wanted to do it with much people because that's the way God's chosen to be worshipped. His extraordinary love of God. Like right here in the first verse of Psalm 18. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. I'm not planning on changing what I love. I'm not planning on changing the fervency and passion and nature of my heart. I love you, Lord. I have loved you, and I will love you. Is that your commitment today? I will love thee, O Lord. He knew how to deal with retirement years, didn't he? Even after he came back from being forced into exile by Absalom, he went to work on gathering with all his might to build the house of the Lord. He showed mercy toward enemies, number seven. He showed respect for civil rulers and wouldn't touch God's anointed, though he had him in his hands many, many times, not just 1 Samuel 24 and 26, but many times he could have taken the life of Saul, but he never did it. He could have won that nation away from Saul in one weekend. Everybody loved David more than they loved Saul. He could have stolen the nation very easily without a sword. Didn't do it. He served Saul and served him faithfully. He understood submission to civil authority. Number nine, his effect on others. When I mentioned those Cherethites and Pelethites and Gittites, that was a secret service. Those were mercenaries that came from the Philistines and served David. They were the closest branch of the military to him. They didn't report to Joab. They reported to David. You ought to look at an organizational chart of David's mighty men. Those were Philistines living in Israel serving David and swearing by the name of the Lord Jehovah. They didn't swear by the name of Dagon. They swore by the name of the Lord Jehovah, David's God. How did he have such an effect on the men that went to high school with Goliath? 600 men from the city of Gath. I've mentioned it all the time because David conducted himself in such a way that even those outside the household of faith and outside the church were attracted and drawn to him by his fairness, his fearlessness, his graciousness, kindness, consistency, zeal, passion. The man was exceptional. You say, but I, I'm not exceptional. You can be. Why aren't you? Because you're lazy. 
You can be exceptional. What do you do all day? What do you do all week? I get up. I stagger off to work. I put in my eight hours. I stagger home. I get a bite to eat. I sit around. What a wasted life. Why don't you do something with passion? Why don't you add the Lord to the mix? Why don't you go to work as unto the Lord? How did David keep sheep as unto the Lord? He did it as unto the Lord. What was he doing when he wasn't actively engaged in shepherding those sheep? He's writing his poetry. He's learning the harp because he was already very proficient on the harp at praising God when he was very young. There's passion you can do everything with. You can serve in a bank passionately. And you can put windshields in passionately. And you can work in a factory passionately, as unto the Lord. And you can come home and manage time passionately so that you have some for the Lord. And when you read his words, you're passionate about it. When you go out in the sunshine, kisses your face, you're passionate about it. When the hummingbird gathers at your feet, you're passionate about it. You want to tell somebody. You want to shout it to the Lord. If you haven't shouted to the Lord in the last week, why not? What good is a car unless somebody gets to look through the window and see you engaging with your steering wheel? Shouting to the Lord. What good's a shower? If the wife doesn't hear bass or baritone coming out of that noise. Come on. Help me. Help you be more like David. His effect on others. He loved the praise of God, number 10. He loved to praise God. He loved to give thanks. He was expressive. There's no match for his zeal hardly in the Old Testament. He loved God's words that I've already mentioned, and his sins didn't stop him. That's where we ended up. Let's go to holiness. Let's look at Psalm 29 in verse 2. Very close to where you are and where we were when Brother Eric led us in Psalm 28. Psalm 29. And we remember, we're not dealing with these in depth. The study of David and his understanding, use, and appreciation of holiness would be a study of its own. Psalm 29 and verse 2, Give unto the Lord the glory, do unto his name. Oh yes. This, does it say a psalm of David at the top of 29 in your Bible? Of course. Give unto the Lord. He's telling you, give, give, give. And guess who gave the most financially? He did. By an indescribable factor. But what's he asking you to give? Not money. Give glory to the name of God. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The beauty of holiness is God's holiness. The beauty of holiness is holy worship his way. The beauty of holiness is coming in with a holy life. And David had all of those and understood them. Look at Psalm 86 and verse 2. Psalm 86 and verse 2. I know I'm not going to spend as long on holiness as you want me to. So you're going to have to go listen to sermons about holiness. Are there sermons for every point I'm going to cover? There are. But I'll give you a few thoughts on holiness. Psalm 86 and verse 2. There is holiness because God is holy, holy worship, and a holy life engaged in that worship. Give the beauty of holiness. It's exceptional worship. That is why we sometimes name names and name churches of churches that have compromised the holiness of God in their worship. 
that have compromised the holiness of God in their practical lives, that have compromised the holiness of God because they don't exalt God for His holiness. And God is holy. Do you remember the little blue fringe that the Israelites had to wear around the bottom of their garments? They had to go home after Numbers 15 and sew a blue fringe on all their garments to remind them that God is holy because they had to stone a man in Numbers 15 that had picked up sticks on the Sabbath day because God is holy. When some men with censers were burned up before the Lord, the censers were beaten out and made into headbands for the priests that said, Holiness unto the Lord, because God is holy. And he's to be worshipped in the beauty of that holiness. You don't know anyone else that is holy. You don't know anything else that is holy. It is God that is holy. And he's incredibly holy. And we've covered it before. But look what David could say about himself. Psalm 86 and verse 2, Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee, for I am holy. You say, that's, that's just too presumptuous. Why is it? Either you're living a holy life or you're not. Let's live holy lives. Then we can say I am holy. Let's live righteous lives. We can say we're righteous. Look at Psalm 30 and verse 4. Psalm 30 and verse 4. David and holiness. David loved holiness. He understood holiness. He appreciated holiness. And that separates him. When you look at the lifestyles of most or all CCM artists, you don't get a picture of holiness. But this praise and worship leader was holy. Look at what he says in Psalm 30 and verse 4. Sing unto the Lord. So we're talking about praise and worship. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. So singing and making remembrance and praising his holiness was important to David. And it showed up in the kind of songs he wrote and the way he worshipped, which is hard to find today in today's casual worship philosophy and practice. David knew how a young man could cleanse his way and be holy. Psalm 119 and verse 9, By taking heed thereto according to thy word, he knew that a young man could have a holy life. There are so many other references we could turn to. Look at Psalm 15, and it'll apply just as well to the next point I want to make that's closely joined to this one. Psalm 15. Psalm 15. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Who is going to get to be with God in his holy presence. Holy men and only holy men. Without holiness, Paul would write in Hebrews chapter 12, no man shall see the Lord because God is holy. And look what it says. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is contemned but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. The man that does these things is holy, and such a man is going to be able to dwell with God in his holy hill. This is David in holiness. 
That was number 16. Number 17 is David in righteousness. While we're here, look at this. Verse 2, he that walketh uprightly. This is not someone with the uprightness of Christ draping him at the judgment seat of Christ. This is a man walking uprightly. Not all those that are legally righteous before God walk uprightly. But David walked uprightly, and David exhorted men to walk uprightly, and he described them as the ones that would be in heaven. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. And it goes on to describe different aspects of that righteousness. Look over a few chapters to Psalm 24, where we have a very similar psalm in the first half of it, as it describes the generation by character traits of those that truly seek God and seek the face of God. They're righteous. Righteous is to be right by God's definition. God has defined what is right or wrong, and it's us doing what is right. Verse 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Does that sound familiar with Psalm 15? Always remember, these two psalms go together, 15 and 24. Who shall stand in his holy place? God is holy. He burned up Nadab and Abihu. They were the priests and sons of Aaron. They had every right to offer sacrifice, but they offered strange fire at the right time, at the right place, to the right God, but they did it the wrong way, and God burned them up because he is holy. Who's going to stand with that holy of a God? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Approval and reward for his righteousness and a blessing upon him for having been righteous. Let's go back to Psalm 18 and read those words that we briefly went over earlier this morning. David understood that he had personal and practical righteousness that God counted as his and God rewarded, God counted as David's and God rewarded him for that righteousness. Psalm 18 and verse 20, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Now, if the Lord rewards everyone that he's made legally righteous in Christ by choosing him in Christ before the foundation of the world, what does the verse mean? Nothing. But it means a lot. It means why David was treated differently than other men. It's why there was a covenant made with David that extends all the way into eternity in the future. Because Jesus Christ is the son of David and always will be the son of David sitting on David's throne because of David was rewarded for his righteousness. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. God could have chosen anyone to be the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. God could have chosen any dynasty by which to trace his genealogy through. From Adam to Noah to Abraham, it could have gone anywhere. But who did it go through? It went through David. It went through David by choice. How many times is he called the son of Abraham? Search. How many times is he called the son of Adam? Sir, it's there. Both are there. But how many times is he called the son of David? How many times is he called David? How many times is he called the root of David? How many times is he called the root and offspring of Jesse? How many times is he called all those things because God chose this man because of this man's difference? Was there even a close comparison between Saul and David? And I want this to terrify you. Saul was the first king. Saul could have had the dynasty that lasted forever. God told him that in 1 Samuel 13 and 15. 
You could have had the dynasty that lasted forever, but you lost it. There is no comparison between Saul and David at any point in their lives by any measure. Saul's zeal was a shadow of David's zeal when Saul had zeal. Saul was so misguided, so profane, so lacking in understanding about how to worship God in comparison to David. Saul did not know how to repent. Saul did not know how to have a broken and a contrite spirit the way David. It just goes on and on and on in the difference between these two men. Lord, save us. Who wants to even be near Saul? And you can't ever be neglectful or profane about his worship. He, Saul never even moved the Ark of the Covenant. How could you have the Ark of the Covenant sitting for 40 years in someone's garage next to a bass boat? How in the world could you allow it? David couldn't allow it. As soon as he was king, he was moving that Ark of the Covenant. A huge difference. Lord, help us to be different. And so I want you to understand this 20th verse. God chose this line for Jesus Christ because of David's difference. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, hath he recompensed me. Surely you can understand that there's value in practical righteousness, and God rewards it. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and have not wickedly departed from my God. When his sins are pointed out to him, he confessed, repented, reformed, and went on. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I did not shove the word of God away. When I was told to kill all the Amalekites, I killed them. I didn't leave them like Saul did. I was also upright before him and I kept myself from mine iniquity. Therefore hath the Lord. Look at that therefore. I've taught you what that therefore is therefore. In verse 24, Therefore hath the Lord recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and his eyesight. Do you mean God can look who's of purer eyes than to behold iniquity? He can look on men and say that man's righteous? Of course, or the word righteous cannot be used as an adjective to describe a man in the Bible. But we heard from Psalm 34 that the Lord's eyes and his face are open, his ears are open to the cries of the righteous. But they're closed and his face is against those that do wickedly. God does have eyesight that sees. Like as a father pitieth his children, he pitieth them that fear him. The Lord understands the frame that we have and that it's imperfect frame, but when that imperfect frame is putting forth zealous and fervent efforts to worship God righteously and to keep his commandments, God sees it, God recognizes it, God identifies it as your righteousness, and he rewards it as your righteousness. Otherwise, he'd be rewarding himself, and you're a fatalist, and we're not. Amen. And so on this point, I want you to understand that that heart... Those choices, this is the third time. The choices that you make every day, when you're walking from your office to the kitchen, you are making choices of what you're thinking about, what you're going to say next to whomever happens to be the ears in your location, and what you're going to do. How much are you going to eat when you open the door of the white box? What are you going to eat? You know, all these, this myriad of choices that you make every day, are you making them for the Lord? David did, and he was righteous. You say, but we know David sinned. Yes? Do you have a question for me that's worth answering? You're going to ask that question? 
Are you asking that question in self-righteousness that you're better than David? You're not even close to him. You say, I've never committed adultery. Well, then you ought to pick up the first stone and throw it at him. You've committed, more, you've committed adultery more times than he ever dreamed of. You say, how do you know that? Because I know you and I know me. And I know you by knowing me. Because Jesus said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. You're worse than a Pharisee. If you want to question the things that we're reading from the Bible about David, you're worse than a Pharisee because the Pharisees, when confronted in John chapter 8, and I will be there shortly, when Jesus said, Let him that is without sin cast the first stone, even Pharisees knew they should, stand, they should walk away from that one. Why don't you know enough to walk away? Stop asking me such scornful questions. David repented of his sins. Or did you forget the Wednesday night Bible study we had about a year ago called the R Factor? The R Factor is wonderful. It's real. It's not fake. It's real. You can cover anything you've ever done and you can cover it right now by God's grace. The practical consequences that God may leave in your life to remind you of what you did is irrelevant to the fact that God now accepts you completely, totally, and fully, and you're his favorite again. I'm sorry that self-righteous people bother me with their questions and their niggling, naggling ways of looking at things in the Bible. Dave was more righteous than they'll ever be. They've never shown the zeal and the worship of God like he had. They've never sat in their house and thought about what they could do for God and then did it with every cent they had. They've never taken the whole church out to eat and danced with all their might and shamed themselves in public and shut down their wife when she questioned them for what they did because it was disrespectful to the royal office. Show me how great you are if you want to question David because of his sins. I'm going to read the Bible, and the Bible tells me that God rewarded him because of his righteousness. And it wasn't self-righteousness, and it wasn't your kind of cheap righteousness. It was real righteousness. It was zeal for God and a family that didn't know him like they should have. It was zeal for God against Saul. It was zeal for the worship of God. As the Psalms just tell us, whoever has loved the word of God like David, whoever has been a man of prayer like David, you say, well, Daniel was. Yep, Daniel might have had one thing going for him. He might have been a man of prayer. What else did he do to match up with David? I'm waiting. Come on, be fair. When we read these passages of Scripture, I know that some of you don't like them. I want you to like them. Because if you don't learn to like them, then how are you going to stand before God? I'm going to stand there in the righteousness of Christ. I mean right now. God is measuring every one of us. He's walking by around his seven golden candlesticks to see who's righteous. He knows our labors. He knows our doctrine. He knows whether we've lost our first love or not. Now, do you know in the Bible who had the greatest amount of first love and kept it at a high level his entire life? It's David. Who else do you want to compare him to? Saul of Tarsus because he did it the last half of his life? David did it his whole life. David is not the Lord Jesus Christ. David wasn't perfect, but David was forgiven by God so that things like this could be written. When he was confronted about his sins, I have sinned against the Lord. In sin did my mother conceive me. 
Read Psalm 51 and see that broken heart of his. But he didn't wallow in it. And he didn't say, now I can't be righteous. Because I've had Psalm 51 experience. I can't be righteous. Oh yes, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and unleash me. And see what I can do and transgressors will be converted unto you. David was righteous. Verse 25, with the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man thou wilt show thyself upright. And that was David. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward thou wilt show thyself froward. And God did do that. It's a shame that confused Christians praise legal righteousness but deny the practical. We want to freely confess both in their proper place and proper context for each one. He didn't apologize for his righteousness and doing right and being upright. You know, we didn't get to the end of these verses and he said, after all, God did all this and I didn't have a thing to do with it. I was just a puppet in his hands. He didn't say that. Saul, did, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, when he wrote his epitaph in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he didn't say, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Oh, but after all, it wasn't really me. God did all that. He tells us exactly the balance to have. But, but I am what I am by the grace of God. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. If you leave out either one of those, you are not scriptural. You have been given five phases. An eternal phase of God's choice to put you in Christ, a legal phase of Christ dying on the cross, to give you his legal righteousness, the Holy Spirit regenerating you and giving you a vital new nature inside. I've already said this once this morning. And so we have three phases that God worked to put inside you. But do you know what most people do with that? They squander it. What did David and Paul do with it? Oh, yeah. They labored more abundantly than they all. They were exceptions. They were exceptional men. And for the men that were at the men's meeting, we don't want to be average men. We don't want to be looking at Christian liberty. Why in the world would you even care about Christian liberty if you're going to be an exceptional man? You're never going to have anything near the lines of liberty because you're going to be exceptional. David was that way. How can I change this aspect of life to be more like David? For the delight of God and men, I need to be more righteous. I need to think that way. Always honest. Here, speaketh honestly from his heart. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips... I'm only going to have gracious lips if I learn how to be gracious in my heart. That's real righteousness. I need to be righteous like David showed us how to be righteous. And that's how we've got to take this preaching about the character traits of David. How about the will of God? Look at 2 Samuel 2. 2 Samuel 2. Saul has just died and David has been living in a city that starts with Z. What was the name of that place? Ziklag. Okay, so we've got, a, we've got a dilemma. David is 30 years old. He was anointed by Samuel when he was 15. He's been running around, living among the Philistines because of Saul chasing him, but now Saul is dead. Would you know what to do? Yeah, baby. I'd go take over the palace and the harem that was left behind. Is that what, is, are those your thoughts? Here's what David did, and I want you to enjoy this. The, there are many of these. 2 Samuel 2, and it came to pass after this, Saul's dead. He's eulogized Saul in chapter 1. 
it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord. He asked God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was told that when he was 15 years old. Don't you think he just could have presumed on that? Oh, I love this man. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? You know, you've led, you've led me to this point to be living at Ziklag. Should I move back to Israel? The Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. Do you like that? I love that. I love that. Totally submissive to the will of God. He was the man after God's own heart. He was the anointed king. His predecessor is out of the way. The nation needs him. The Philistines are making war against them. They're the ones that killed Saul and Jonathan. But he wants to know God's will in the matter. Should I go back to Israel? Where do you want me to go back to Israel? Details. He wanted God's word, God's will for his life. Lord, make us all like this. Amen. Look at chapter 5. There's, I'll just give you a couple of these because we would be a while. As soon as the Philistines heard that David was made king of all Israel, verse 18 says, The Philistines also came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thine hand. Beautiful. There we have it. But no, that's not good enough. He, he whipped the Philistines there in verses 17 through 21. And then verse 22, And the Philistines came up yet again. So they came back and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Now, David should have known that the Lord would doubtless whip the Philistines with David, so he should have just gone up to fight him, right? No, he asked again. Verse 23, when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up. Aha, God can change his mind sometimes. Thou shalt not go up the way you went up the first time, but fetch a compass. Make your, get all the way around. You want know a compass? Please. All the way around them and get behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. Verse 25, and David did so as the Lord had commanded him, and smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gezer. Beautiful. Over and over you can read that David trusted the will of God, sought the will of God, obeyed the will of God. The will of God is given to us in the Word, by His Spirit, by prayer, and by counselors. Things we learn almost every day in the book of Proverbs and the commentaries. David submitted to God's will when revealed by Nathan. I want to build God a temple. No, God doesn't want you to build a temple. Okay, I'll pay for it. That's that fast. No problem. You have three options. What do you want? Seven years of famine? Three months being chased by your enemies? Or three days of pestilence? I want to fall into the will of God. I want to fall into the hands of God. Give me three days of pestilence. I mean, it's just David always trusting the will of God. He prayed for God to direct, lead, and teach him. Do you know some of those psalms? Do you know where to go? I'll give you one. Psalm 25, Psalm 25, where David asked God to lead him and to direct him. And it's not the only place as you should know. Psalm 25, verse 4. 
Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Verse 12, What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. It's Psalm 25. If you want a psalm for your memory banks on where did David pray and talk about always asking God to lead him, teach him, and guide him, it's Psalm 25. He loved the will of God and submitted to it.